Before anyone knew there would be a water crisis in Flint, reporter Ron Fonger was writing about what was happening with the switch to the Flint River and its effects on residents. He's been reporting for the Flint Journal and MLive for over 20 years and has written over 500 articles about the Flint water crisis. On this episode of Created Equal, my conversation with Ron Fonger. It was founded on the principle We hold these truths to be self-evident That all men are created equal That all men are created equal Ron Fonger, a Flint journalist who was on the beat before others even acknowledged it. He has probably written more about Flint and the Flint water crisis than anyone else. And I am really glad to welcome Ron Fonger. Great to have you with us. Thank you. So uh, you used to be the City Hall reporter for MLive. Tell us how the Flint water crisis began to unfold at a city council meeting way back in 2014. After Flint's water source was changed to the Flint River in April 2014, it was just a matter of weeks um, before I started seeing people coming into city council meetings, coming into city hall, complaining about their water. It was all anecdotal initially. It wasn't anything that we could put our finger on and say, this means this. But we knew there were a lot of people who had issues with the uh, smell of their water, the taste of it, the color being discolored. We only found out later exactly what was causing all of that to happen. And at the time, the city and the state of Michigan, which was running the city of Flint's affairs at the time through emergency managers, pretty much told people, there's nothing wrong with your water, just go back home. And and what's interesting to me is that this was not just the state officials who were saying that, but there were were people who represented directly the people of Flint who had real skepticism about this. Is that right? That's true. Even though Flint was under emergency management at the time where the governor appoints a manager to come in and basically take the place of the mayor and the city council. We still had a mayor and city council. The mayor was in support of the uh, change change in water source and was also a major defender of the quality of the water. He uh, insisted it was safe. He went on television and said, you know, he and his family drink it every day. They also have questions to answer for um having been in office when this happened. Granted, they, again, had been stripped of most of their powers, but the one thing that they still had was they had a soapbox as an elected official to be able to stand up, ask questions, and look at this with a much more critical eye than they did. So I'm curious, as a journalist, you're sitting and you're watching this kind of unfold. What was your initial reaction? Did you believe the citizens who were showing up at these meetings uh, about uh, what was going on with the water? And did you have any inkling, I guess, at that time that something as profound as the Flint water crisis was was unfolding in that city? I think uh, I'm, I'm typically uh, skeptical of anything that I can't prove, show, or, you know, have some type of hard ev- evidence that something is wrong. So, we made note of it. We made note when people were complaining. We started writing about issues involving bacteria in the water within months of the this, this switch to the Flint River. It didn't seem as though they had a good handle uh, on this thing. 
And by the end of 2014, when we realized that we our water was also contaminated with uh, total trihalomethane, uh, that's when it, it became very clear to even a casual observer that they were having a very hard time trying to produce safe water. Uh, and so as you started writing about this, what were the what were your takes on, on what was happening? I mean, how were you first reporting this unfolding of the crisis? Things, things escalated. It went from a couple of people bringing in plastic water bottles to people marching into the city council meeting, groups of people. Uh, it wasn't one or two people. It became, it became dozens of people. Hmm. Uh, on page 54 of uh, Dr. Mona's book, she writes, she says, Fonger had done a solid job covering the water switch, residents' concerns and their activism, the parade of assurances from the city and the state, but it felt like nobody had been listening. That's the first time that she mentions you in the book, and she knows that your work was some of the first readings that she saw on the issue in Flint. Talk about what it was like to be the only person, really, uh, reporting on this. What were the outside reactions to what you were writing? It was getting, we knew it was getting read, and we knew that, uh, especially in Lansing, uh, they were getting tired of answering our questions about it. Hmm. The way I tried to approach this was to document everything we could, get people on the record telling us everything from what kind of uh, training and licensing people had who were running the plant to explanation for why it was that suddenly when our water source changed, we had all of these problems coming up. This was before we even knew that the water had been contaminated with lead. Mm. So that's kind of how we covered it. We kind of covered it drip by drip by drip. It was not one single revelation, but it was... Uh, on most days, we were writing something about the water, mm-hmm. and we were getting people on the record, we were getting documents, and we were building a case that, look, we may not know exactly what it is that is the problem here, but we've got a problem. And uh, talk about uh, the way this this turns to a crisis that, that Dr. Mona starts to talk about what she is finding, that Mark Edwards, the researcher from the East Coast, starts to talk about what he's he's seeing. Was it immediately evident once those things started happening that, that there was something terribly, terribly wrong and much bigger, perhaps, than what you had been covering before? Edwards was a key because Edwards came in with a team from Virginia Tech and worked with residents who had issues with their water. And separate and apart from the testing that the state of Michigan was doing, uh, which had been called into question, it was just being done improperly. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, people from the city had told me that the homes that they were sampling to measure how much lead was in our water, they were supposed to be homes that were at high risk of contamination because they had a lead service line. None of that evaluation was, was done. They were collecting pretty much randomly when they were supposed to be focused on these targeted sites. And when Edwards and his, his team with the Flint residents did their own sampling, uh, we ended up, it ended up showing that there was much more lead in the water than the State Department of Environmental Quality was, was saying at the time. Dr. Mona, when she made her announcement about the study and the research that she had done, that showed that the percentage of Flint kids with elevated 
lead in their blood had doubled and in some parts of the city tripled mm. uh, since the switch to the Flint River, that was a critical, uh, if not the critical change in the whole conversation. Uh, it was her coming forward with that, a doctor uh, at the city hospital trained, you know, highly qualified to be able to make these assessments. Uh, when she did that, it was as though the last wall of resistance to getting us off Flint River water broke down. Mm. And I mean, institutionally in the city, people who tend to support and organizations that tend to support the status quo, all that resistance faded away within a matter of a couple of weeks. And there were efforts underway to get us back on water from Lake Huron. Celebrate 75 years of public radio in Detroit with WDET. As our spring fundraiser commences, let's unite to support what makes Detroit unique. 75 years of people-powered radio. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile app. I want to ask you about the... uh how you navigate a story like this emotionally. I mean, you are somebody who's been in Flint for a very long time, and the effect of this story on people you know, neighbors perhaps, uh, just people that you've come to know over over decades there in Flint, was immeasurable. I I always am am curious about how you've managed that side of it uh, when you're when you're trying to cover it, and when you are trying to make sure that people know what they need to know about what's going on, I, I think it's a, it's a side of journalism that not everybody uh, always considers. I think again that story about what ha- happened with our water um, it played a part in every day of my life for the past several years, and uh, it's not only people who are who are worried and who are scared and uh, who are inconvenienced day after day after day. I tried to approach it by staying as even keeled about it as I can mm-hmm. um, to be able to work with uh, these departments in, in state government to extract every bit of information and explanation and answers that, that we could. But when you do see people who uh, are upset to the point of you know breaking down in in tears, in um, people who have been exposed to dangerous levels of lead because of decisions that were made that were poorly thought out, um, that does have an effect on uh, on me. And uh, again, I guess the way I try to appro- approach it is, uh, to the extent that I can, I approach it with by setting that aside, mm. you know, and trying to get to the bottom of this, which. We've gotten a lot of answers, but uh, there's still a lot that that uh, I think we don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, th- there were a lot of signs that there was something really amiss after this water switch. One of them, of course, is the fact that General Motors, uh, which uses water for its plant there in Flint, stopped using the water or, or was complaining about the fact that the water was having a really awful effect on, I think, uh, on their engines. Why didn't those kinds of revelations inspire a quicker response to go back to Detroit water? 
That is a great question because General Motors, we wrote about the fact that they had stopped using city water at their engine plant in October 2014, just a month after uh, the switch took place and they realized that there was an issue with, with corrosion and chloride that was in the water. And that's what people were um, asking. There was discussion about Flint getting its own water source have gone on for decades in this area in Genesee County. Uh, The city and the county have always had always purchased their water from the city of Detroit, which pumps the water from Lake Huron to here. When we had that arrangement up until 2014, the city of Detroit was in charge of delivering water that was ready to drink. The scope of the change was just incredible Mm -hmm. when we switched water sources, when the water source was switched, because all of a sudden we were using a a much smaller body of water, uh, the Flint River. Uh, The water was not being delivered to the city, already treated and ready to drink. Um, A water plant that had been in mothballs for 40-some years uh, was put back into service, Uh, We've since found out they didn't have enough people, they didn't have enough expertise, they didn't have the proper equipment to do it. So why was the change made in the first place? I go back to the fact that the city of Flint was being run by a series of state-appointed emergency managers who viewed it as their job to come here and cut corners and save money wherever they could. Mm -hmm. And this was seen as a way to save a few million dollars in between the time that the city of Detroit, the contract with the city of Detroit ended and the city of Flint and Genesee County could complete the new, a new water pipeline to Lake Huron. Hmm. And the reason that they wanted to build this pipeline, it's, it's, it was built through uh, an authority, a public authority called the Churagandi Water Authority. The two main players in it were the city of Flint and Genesee County. And that pipeline was eventually built, but it was only built and put into service after this disaster with the Flint River. Why was it done in the first place? It was done to save money, which we see what happened. It ended up costing hundreds of millions of dollars in damage instead. And and truthfully, even even switching back to Detroit Water, which was eventually done, uh, it didn't it didn't solve. Uh, all of the problems. I mean, uh, the, the damage that had already been done still took a long time to stop happening uh, to people in Flint. And of course, uh, today, uh, there are still some struggles with, with the access to clean water. When uh, If you come to Flint today, uh, we can go out and pick out any number of streets where they are still pulling lead and galvanized water service lines out of the ground. That's one of the reasons why people are still concerned about the water. We had all of these uh, service lines that were made of lead and galvanized steel, and they were stripped of their protective coating uh, by this much more corrosive Flint River water than than they were used to carrying. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're in what we hope will be the final year of excavating all of those service lines, determining what they're made of, and replacing the ones that are are lead and galvanized. So that's still going on. And with all that underground construction that's going on in the city, all that disruption, there is the concern that the lead 
from those lines can break loose, can get into the water system. So people are still advised that they should be using a faucet filter if they're drinking public water from the tap, even though it has been switched over since late 2015, or to drink bottled water. Hmm. Uh, I also want to ask you about the reaction there in Flint to the attorney general's announcement that they were going to drop all the charges that had been filed against people who were involved in the Flint water crisis. Of course, she says they, they need to reinvestigate and that there may be new charges uh, that, that follow. But I wonder what people in Flint feel about uh, or tell you that they're feeling about this, this delayed process, this, uh, this elongated effort to extract some form of justice uh, for what happened. What are they, what are they telling you about, uh, about that decision? It's a really mixed bag. It really is. Overall, after uh, we had the bombshell that um, eight criminal cases that had been ongoing for a couple of years were going to be just dropped, reinvestigated and possibly filed or possibly new charts being filed. But regardless, we had eight criminal cases that, that everyone was paying attention to, to find out, you know, who ultimately was responsible or which, which people and which agencies were responsible for this. Um, in the blink of an eye, we went from uh, all of those cases, some of which charged uh, department heads and state government with man involuntary manslaughter. They were there and then they were gone. Now, I went to a uh, town hall meeting that uh, Solicitor General uh, Fadwa Hamoud had with Kim Worthy, uh, the Wayne County prosecutor. Um, the reaction was mixed. There was, there was some degree of support for the decision that was made. And there is a relatively short period of time if they are going to charge anybody with, with doing it. Some people uh, had a lot of questions about this, too, and were very supportive of the former special prosecutor, Todd Flood, who mm -hmm. was uh, in charge of this investigation. I, I can only say it was mixed. I, it, there wasn't one way or the other. Some people do believe that the investigation that was going on before uh, under the former Attorney General Bill Schuette, uh was not um, progressing well, mm -hmm. uh, and they had cut a number of of plea agreements. Um, I think seven defendants ended up uh, with plea agreements in which they did no time in jail, paid no fine, and had the charges ultimately in all but three of the cases so far dismissed. Ron Fonger is a Flint-based reporter with MLive who's been covering the water crisis from before it even began. On the next episode of Created Equal, we'll hear from an expert on Legionnaire's disease about the aspect of the crisis that killed at least a dozen people and led to criminal charges against local and state officials. I was offering to do this testing in our laboratory here in Pittsburgh, the Special Pathogens Laboratory, for free. And I offered to do that testing of the residents' homes to the health department, to the EPA. And I was always surprised, you know, nobody took me up on that offer. Created Equal is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Our executive producer is Joan Cherry Isabella. Our producers are Elena Fruget, Jake Neer, and Anna Marie Seisling. Our sound engineers are Matt Trevethan, Rowan Niamisto, and Rasan Cherry. Senior editor and musical composer is Sam Bobian. Our digital and social media team is Maida Stangi, Shiraz Ahmed, and Tony Brown.
I'm your host, Stephen Henderson.